following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. What a blessing. Well, welcome everyone. This is our fourth week in our book of encouragement, the book of Philippians, and we've only made it through verse 6 today in four weeks. And so we've been talking about encouragement, specifically in these first few verses, what it looks like to be encouraging in our friendships, in our relationships with others. Uh, the, verses, the verse we'll spend time on today is verse 6 in chapter 1. There have been a lot of words spoken to me in uh, my relationship with God, my journey of faith that I remember as encouraging words. And this is one of those words that have been spoken to me uh, from a friend, has used these literal words from God's scripture to encourage me. If you've never heard uh, words like this before, I hope that you will be encouraged. I hope that as, as studying this scripture and reflecting on this, you'll leave today encouraged in your walk with God. So let's read uh, verses 3 through 6 in Philippians chapter 1 together. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a great encouragement. Uh, my title for, for this morning is a little redundant. I hope it doesn't bother you. Here's where we've been so far in our, in our series uh, for the book of encouragement. Talking about encouraging friend. Encouraging friend is, a, is an intentional friend, a praying friend, a reciprocal friend. And today, an encouraging friend is an encouraging friend. Uh, that's my redundancy. Because that's what an encouraging friend does. An encouraging friend encourages. That's what Paul does here. And so where I want to go today also has redundancies. But I, I want to see together this morning in this passage what, an, what is encouraging about this encouragement. How do we encourage ourselves with this kind of encouragement, and how do we encourage others with this encouragement that we get from God's Word? And so let's look first at this first one, what is encouraging about this encouragement? And I'm going to give the cookies away first, real quick. God finishes everything He begins. That's the encouragement that we have in this passage. God finishes everything that He begins. We can't promise this. We are not people that can promise this sort of thing. We may desire to finish things, but oftentimes we leave things unfinished. We have books on our bookshelf that have permanent bookmarks between the pages that we will never finish. We have projects at home, let's face it, that will not be completed. Maybe they're just changed from their purpose. Like originally we set out to build that chicken coop in the backyard and now it's a <laughs> playhouse or something for our kids. We have projects around the house that are left undone. God is not like us in this way. God is not like men. He is not like us. He, he does not conduct experiments and leave projects unfinished. God has a plan. He carries out his plan, and he completes his plan without fail every time. Salvation is, is no different. Salvation is the plan of God. It's the good news of God. It's his plan for us. And this is what God's word is saying. And the confidence that Paul has, the author of Philippians, he says, I'm confident of this promise. I am so confident of this that God will complete in you everything that he has begun without fail. He will not leave a single thing, a single work, a single process in your life unfinished. 
Salvation is not this relay race with God where God does this big work in our life and convicts our heart and we trust in Him and then we cry out to Him and say, God, I'll take it from here. Thank you for saving me. I'll take it from here. It is not this relay race, but this, it is the work of God, an act of God that God brings and He begins in our life and He is in that process and He completes it all by His power, all by His grace. God requires faith for salvation, but faith itself, we learn, is a gift of God and a working of God, initiated and accomplished by Him. Look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is required for salvation, and yet this faith is a gift from God that he initiates with us. And Paul strongly corrects people in his writings, believers in all different places that have this kind of attitude that say, God, thank you for saving me. I'll take it from here. And what God begins in our lives, he finishes. Along the same line, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, maybe a go-to verse for many of you when you're looking for encouragement. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This initiation, this process, and this completion of God's work in us by his power, by his grace. And never at one point does he leave us to ourselves to complete it, to work it through. My mechanic, my auto mechanic, has a sign at the register that reads this. We offer three kinds of services, quick, cheap, and quality. You can pick only two. Maybe you've seen this. So if you want uh, a repair that is quick and cheap, it won't be quality. Are you following me? If you want a repair that is quality and cheap, it won't be quick. And lastly, if you want a quick and quality repair, it most certainly will not be cheap. And we all know that. This is how the world works. This is not how salvation works. This is not how the promise of God works. Salvation, we think, sometimes operates like this mechanic. So follow me as I just describe these these three things in the life of a Christian, these three events. Justification. It is the work of God that makes us right with God. It is this work of God that saves us. It's It is accomplished by grace through faith. And there's sanctification. Sanctification is this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. This is that growth period that you might call it, growing in your faith. And then there is glorification. Glorification is the completed work of God that happens at the day of Christ. This is when we are made perfect, the day that we look forward to. When will that day come when there's no more sin, no more tears, no more pain? No more suffering. That's the day I'm looking forward to. The Bible calls that our glorification. We often think like the mechanic when it comes to these three things. God, I know that you have saved me, and I look forward to that day when I'm with you forever. But in the meantime, I have a lot of work to do. I have a lot of work to do on my own strength. Or we say, God, I I know you have saved me, and you're working in me today, but I worry That when that day comes, I'm not 100% sure that you have saved me, that you've made me right with you. And then lastly, God, I trust that I'll be in heaven with you. I trust that you're working in me today, but I don't feel forgiven of my sins. 
I still feel like I have somehow have to compensate for the wrong that I've done in my past. So we think that in those three, we can have two, but not all three. But when God begins his salvation in us, in a person's life, it is an irrevocable guarantee that he will finish it. God finishes everything. God begins in his work of salvation. God completes his work of salvation. So what are the chances that God will fail at the work that he has begun in you and in me? Zero. What are the chances that God will leave unfinished work to be done in your life? Zero. And what are the chances that you and I can contribute to the work of salvation apart from the power and grace of God? Zero. When God saves, he saves completely. He saves eternally. There is no such thing as receiving an aspect of salvation without receiving the whole salvation. We cannot be justified and not be sanctified and glorified. We cannot be glorified without being sanctified and justified. The promise that God completes everything that he begins in us is very encouraging. How encouraging is that for you? Have you heard that before? Have you been encouraged by this truth of God's word that, he, that we are told over and over again that God is in this, that God is working in this, and God does not leave anything unfinished? How might you live your life differently knowing this? So now, having this encouragement, how do we encourage ourselves in this encouragement? How do we take this and apply this to my, our lives? And here's the thing. If we truly believe in Jesus, we are people of the future. We're sp- like space people. <laughs> Your future has begun in the present. And in covenant terms, covenant terms is are the, the, the way that God has a relationship with creation, with his people. And this, he, he enters into this, this bond of unity and friendship with us. They're the promises of God to his children. And he says, to be justified is to be sanctified and to be glorified. This is why we're reminded so often in Scripture, your citizenship is in heaven. Your reward is in heaven. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. So Scripture is, is continually pointing our eyes towards the future, towards this glory with God, the hope of what we have yet to grasp onto. The Bible tells us, live as if you've already obtained it because to be promised it is to obtain it. To be justified in Christ is to be glorified. Because there's no way of being justified without being glorified. God will complete everything he has started. Therefore, the future certainty of God's accomplished work in us is to be lived out in our present circumstances. What you and I hope for, if we hope in Christ and trust in Christ and believe that we are his children and that we will one day be with him forever, Paul is telling us, live today in your circumstances. Apply this today of what you believe will happen in the future. To lose our future orientation is to lose too much. So we encourage ourselves with this encouragement by having a future orientation. Verse 6 points us to this future and encourages us to set our minds on the future. He says, 
This will be accomplished in the day of Christ. And so he's telling us, I want, you to, I want you to think about the future. I want you to think about that day, our passage says, the time when believers will be glorified, when their salvation will be completed and made perfect. It's the goal of this life. It's the completion of all that we're looking forward to. We live in this, maybe you've heard this already not yet kind of life right now already obtaining salvation, and yet there's this aspect of salvation that's not yet, that we have yet to obtain physically and really. The example that I heard this past year that a pastor gave was really helpful. Imagine you walk into a kitchen and you smell dinner being made, and on the stove there's a pot, a boiling pot of water, and spaghetti is being cooked, and you go in the kitchen and you are hungry, and you fish out a a, a spaghetti noodle and you eat it. And the question is, having eaten that string of spaghetti, have you had dinner? Technically, yes. And technically, no. You have had dinner, but yet you still have not had dinner. The day of Christ is like this already, not yet. The taste of God's salvation, faith in the gospel that is preached to us for our salvation, that you believe in, that you trust in, is the guarantee of a future meal that we will have with God forever. That has already begun in our lives now. So we don't have to think, oh, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that salvation. I can't wait for that hope because it's begun already in us for those who believe. Our confidence and assurance lies not in our character on that future day, but on the promise of God that says the righteousness of Jesus is our reward and our hope. On the day of Christ, when we come to that day of Christ and we are depending on, our, on Christ for our glorification, it depends on His character and not ours. Our hope is not in our righteousness on that day or on this day, on today. So what do we do? How do we apply this? We don't, we don't ignore. Does this mean, well, we just ignore our sins? Do we ignore our weaknesses? Do we ignore the struggle that we find ourselves in and just try to think of the future as much as possible? I would say no. It's easy for believers to be discouraged when they face their struggles, their weaknesses, their problems and imperfection and to become paralyzed by that and only think about, well, look at where I'm struggling. Look at where I'm failing. Those sins should not be ignored or minimized, but neither should they be allowed to overshadow the promise that God has given to us, that he completes all that he begins, that there is a future perfection for every believer, as God's word guarantees. So even though you and I may be a long way off spiritually from where you want to be, where God has called you to be, one day you will be made perfect. So here is time, I guess, to, to take a pause and to ask a question I, I hope that you're asking. And if you're not asking it, I, I hope to put that bug into your ear to ask this question. And here is the question. Has, has God begun a work in you? Paul t- tells us how he knows that God has begun a work in, in these people in this church that he's writing to. For his friends, they are partakers in the gospel, he says. The, to partner in the gospel is to describe this kind of relationship that people have with Jesus and with the gospel. 
to partner, to participate, is describing the relationship that they have with God. It's experiencing and living out the gospel in their lives currently, trusting in God, believing in Him, placing the hope of eternal life and justification, being right with God on the righteousness of Jesus. Paul says this in so many words. He says, I'm so excited for you. And I thank God because of you. And I thank Him when I think of you because God is at work in you. And I can see that He's at work in you because of the work that He is working in you. The the life that is being expressed in your life that is coming out of your life. I see that God's work has begun. And that is so encouraging because you know what that means? That means that you belong to Him and He will complete everything He has begun in you. Christ is at, at work in you both to will and to do what pleases Him. He says, you responded by faith, you responded in faith to the words that I preached to you about Christ. And that gives me great cause for encouragement. And that doesn't happen. People don't respond in faith to the gospel without God beginning a work in them. And so for that, I'm very encouraged. And then he says, you demonstrate your faith through repentance of your sins, through the sharing of the gospel with others, through prayer to God on your own behalf and for for me. You, You demonstrate this partnering in the gospel through your obedience to Christ and his word. I can tell that God is working in you because those things don't happen unless God has begun a work. So has God begun a work in you? Our encouragement has everything to do with God. Our encouragement has very little to do with us and very much to do with God. Think of this phrase, and I want you to consider what you would put in the blank. I am confident that blank will bring to completion the work that God began in you. What are you putting in that space? Does it say, I'm confident that you will bring, speaking of yourself, that myself will bring to completion the work that God began? Or is it, I am confident that God will bring to completion the work that he began in me? The question is, where does your trust lie? If it begins with God, God who continues and God who finishes, then you understand the gospel. If it begins with you, if it, the process is with you, if it depends on you, then the gospel is missed. So to truly believe the gospel is to realize and to forfeit our desire to put ourselves in that space where we must only put God in the righteousness of Christ, the power of God manifested through faith in Jesus saying, God, I am confident that my salvation depends on you. I am confident that my growth depends on your power and grace. I am confident that my reward and my glorification and my eternal hope lies with you. And so I come willingly, casting my cares, casting my hope, casting my sin. You said you want, you'll take my sin, then I give it to you, and my hope is in you. This is the good news. God has begun a work in you, and he will finish it. Let today, I don't know if, if, you, if you know, if, if you're thinking, I don't know if God has begun a work in me. Then I, let today be that day that you participate 
in the gospel by believing in Christ and hoping in Him. And we're talking about being an encouraging friend. It's good to think, how can we be an encouraging friend to others in this? How does this passage help us encourage? How do we encourage others with this encouragement? Well, here's the way to do it is remember that the gospel is for the believer and the unbeliever alike. It is for the Christian and the non-Christian. If the solution to our problems is bound up in temporal and present things, then we are not pointing people to Jesus, and we are not pointing people to the hope that is in Christ. If people are struggling and people are concerned and people are worried and having a hard time, if we are pointing them to anything, any power, any encouragement that does not flow from the gospel, then we are pointing them in the wrong direction. I think that Christians tend to, at times, have their mouth water when they come in contact with an unbeliever that has a problem. Now follow me with this. You're thinking, okay, this, my neighbor is not a believer. I've been waiting for this opportunity. Now they're hurting. Now I can give them the gospel. I can communicate the gospel and, and maybe have a chance to, to point them to Christ. And yet then when we have a Christian brother or sister come to us with a problem, we say, sounds like you're in a pickle. I don't know what to do about that. I don't know. Here's a, maybe you read a book. Have you prayed more? Have you, you know, maybe you can, I don't know what to do. Gosh, what, is a Christ, what ought a Christian do when they are having a hard time? Peter preaches the gospel, the same gospel to the unbeliever and the believer. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't want to read this. It's several verses, but, but stick with me here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What do we do when we find a non-believer, a non-Christian, someone who doesn't know Jesus, struggling? We, we preach the gospel to them, the hope that is in Christ. What ought we do when we find a brother or sister in Christ, a Christian, struggling in their faith? We preach the gospel to them. And he says, Jesus is alive, and that means that you have a hope beyond your circumstances. Be encouraged. Jesus is guarding you, and will one day reveal his blessing to you in full. Be encouraged. And this is not dependent on your own character, your righteousness, but on the character and power of God. Be encouraged by this. And he says, rejoice. Rejoice in this. Even though there are opportunities to not rejoice, there will be time, and you may be even experiencing it right now, there are times where your faith is tested, where you'll come in seasons of trial, where you'll have great cause and excuse to abandon your faith because you're hurting. And he says, stand firm. Stand firm and be encouraged that in the midst of your struggle, your faith will demonstrate an evidence that your hope is in Christ. And rejoice in the good news that your faith is more valuable than gold. Because God completes everything that he starts. He finishes every plan he begins. And so we help people, we encourage people 
realize that in the midst of their circumstances, God does two things. He guarantees our future. And he blesses us in the present in spite of our circumstances. The gospel is encouragement for both the believer and the unbeliever because it is the gospel that we both need. Our fears, our worries stem from either God has not begun a work in me, God has not done this work in me, or we have a fear that God might not complete it. God is going to stop halfway and I'm going to be left alone. God is going to abandon me. God is going to get fed up with me eventually because I have not been working hard enough. God is going to orphan me after having already adopted me. And either way, with these fears, we end up in an unfinished place and in a vulnerable place. But faith in the completed work of Jesus gives us assurance for both things. That God guarantees our future and that God blesses us in our present situation. Be encouraged. Be encouraged that God completes every work that he begins in us. Apply your future hope to your present circumstances and preach the gospel to yourself and preach the gospel to others for great encouragement. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.